God's indestructible word to the book of James. We're going to be finishing up the book of James this morning. We're in chapter 5. So if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided for you there in the rows, it'll be around page 1013, okay? I think I've still got that right. Um, and as you turn there, let me just say, we, we are a church that values God's word. We believe God has spoken to us, uh, not only in his son, uh, but through the pages of, of this, this book. And so that's why at Redemption Hill, it's our common practice to simply work through books of the Bible. Uh, we uh, in, our, in our sermon series. Uh, we don't exclusively go through books of the Bible. In fact, uh, this September, we're going to go through a relationship series talking about friendship, singleness, dating, marriage, and sex. Uh, then we'll hit a short minor prophet out of the Old Testament, work through uh, the prophet Haggai, and then we'll hit a money series before we jump into a little Christmas series. And then in the new year, we're going to hit Ephesians, six chapters, and we're going to roll through Ephesians and soak up uh, God's Word. But, but I just share that because we love God's Word. We believe that it's the Word with God's Spirit that changes our, our lives and, um, and is sufficient for everything that happens uh, in our lives. So uh, this morning, I hope you're excited, uh, just as I am, to experience not only these uh, testimonies that have been shared, these, these redemption stories, but also to witness baptism. You know, every time we see baptism, it should hopefully, if you're in Christ and have been baptized, it should be a reminder of what God has done for you. And so what, what is baptism? Baptism is an outward display of what God has done inside of a person's life. You see what John read, Romans 6, 3 and 4, it says, do you not know that you were baptized into uh, the death of Christ? So just as Christ was raised from the dead, you too might live a new life, might walk in newness of life. And so, so understand this, the, the spiritual reality is we who are in Christ have died to our old way of life. We have died with Christ and now God has raised us up, given us a new life in him and now we are completely following him with our life. We are cleansed as the water symbolizes, cleansed of our uh, sin, forgiven from all of our sin, that we might now be reconciled to God and live our lives for him. So these are, these are beautiful truths that are depicted when we see someone baptized. Now, it is our hope and prayer that what these five people share today and what they portray today in baptism would not just be celebrated on August 17, 2014, but this would be a st the start of an ongoing celebration where for the next weeks, months, and years, we are continuing to celebrate God's work in their life as they follow Christ with everything they have, right? All day, every day. That's the, the mantra. That's what we are called to when we say Jesus is Lord of our lives. Now, let me ask you a question. How can this happen? How can these five individuals, and how can you, if you are in Christ and have followed him uh, and committed your life to him, how can you also then live a life that is honoring and pleasing to God all the days of your life? Well, here's the answer. Just as God saves us by his grace through faith in Christ, so every day of the Christian life, we must continue to look to Christ in faith and have God's grace at work in our life so that we stay committed to Jesus. Now, 
God distributes his grace in many ways. We talk about the rhythms of of grace. How does God sanctify, make someone more like Jesus, as John was talking about earlier? Well, we talk about the rhythms of grace, right? Reading the word. It's grace that we have God's word and we can know what he, uh, uh, who he is and what he wants from our lives. We have the rhythm of prayer where we commune with God. We're going to talk about that today. But we also have the rhythm of community. And this is where I want to challenge each one of you today as Redemption Hill Church to say, okay, these five people are not out on their own living the Christian life in isolation, but we are here for you to care for you, to love you, to pray for you, to serve you, to bear one another's burdens, to rejoice when you rejoice and to weep when you weep. I mean, Jesse, I never, I didn't even know that part of your story, man, but like my heart's going out to you and your experience. Why? Because now we're family in Christ. See that? And so... God doesn't call us and like, go do this. Good luck. You know, it's like, man, that's the beauty, the wisdom of the church. He gives us one another so that we can live as family and encourage one another in the Christian life. And so that is how James ends his letter in James chapter five, verses 13 through 20. He is going to, to really highlight two ways we should love one another. One is that we should pray for one another. The other is that we should care for one another. And what I want to propose to you is this is the job, okay, this is in the job description of every single Christian, all right? So James, as we dive into these uh, verses, uh, I want to encourage us that every Christian should joyfully exercise the responsibility of prayer and care for one another. You got that? Every Christian should exercise the joyfully, the responsibilities of praying for one another and caring for one another. Now, in verses 13 through 18, James highlights what it looks like to pray for one another. And that's our first encouragement. Exercise prayer for one another's physical and spiritual needs, okay? James, if you're just catching up with us, okay, maybe this is your first Sunday at Redemption Hill and you missed chapters one through the most of five, and now you're just catching the final sermon of this whole series and thinking, man, you know, what's going on here? Well, interestingly, James begins with a call to prayer. You remember this if you were here. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Okay, so, so we need prayer in the beginning of the letter of James, but we also need it at the very end of the letter. And so in verse 13 of chapter five, what does it say? It says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So let me ask you, what is prayer? How would you define prayer? Prayer is something that we do um, probably quite a bit, hopefully, but sometimes it's difficult to define or articulate. Well, we could give a simple definition of prayer and say that prayer is fellowship with God, through communication with him, okay? So it's, it's in prayer. The goal of, of prayer is not just like get things off our chest and throw it over at God, but it's actually to have a relationship with him. This is sort of the fancy word we're calling fellowship or communion. It's so that we might know God more, that we might speak to him and that we might hear from him as the spirit speaks to us, always in accordance with the word. So prayer, Octavius Winslow says this, is the spiritual pulse of the renewed soul. You got that? It's like, man, if you are in Christ and your heart is beating for Jesus, then prayer should just be a normal part of your life. Check this out. Its beat, 
indicates the healthy or unhealthy state of the believer. So a great question. One professor in seminary uh, said this, if you ever want to humble a person, ask them about their prayer life. So let me ask you, how is your prayer life? How's the spiritual pulse of your soul? Are you in a healthy state spiritually? Or are you in an unhealthy state? There's probably a correlation by the nature and frequency of your prayers. You see, prayer gives us an opportunity. Imagine this, and this is true, that, that we bend the ear of the Almighty God, that we tap into divine power when we pray. Because God is an all-powerful God. So I love what Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, says when he says, learn to move man through God, John, by prayer alone. And I'm going to pray right now. This will be a good spot to pray. Thank you for, to those who responded. It's cool that God providentially places people in uh, a group of people to care for others. And uh, that's what we saw there. And let me just say this, okay? Um, we're not a church that's a show, all right? So, like, sometimes you come to church and you, like, you're doing church. And so, like, there was no, in my mind, there was no interruption just now. You know, this isn't like we come here, we spectate, and if something happens, they're like, we're the church, and so if we need to care for someone, if we need to stop and pray, that's, that's who we are. Like, this should feel natural, right? Um, even though we understand this was uh, quite a, a nerve-wracking moment and a faith-testing moment. So I thank you for how you all responded. And, um, and, and, and again, isn't it interesting um, when you're talking about prayer and praying for healing and caring for one another, that God just, boom, puts it, puts it right into your lap and gives, gives an opportunity to live out what he instructs us to do. So, um, so that said, I, I also, just as John was praying, I thought about wh- what do I do in times of difficulty? Where do I go? I go to God in prayer, and I open up this book, <laughs> all right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mod- modify a sermon on the fly here, okay? This is going to be a lot of fun for me, all right, because I've, I've got about 10 minutes. Um, but, but, but there are a few things that I believe are, are, are particularly relevant and, uh, and even perhaps uh, even more applicable for us in, in terms of receiving it from God today, okay? So let's, let's ask God. Let's just, I know this was kind of a a moment here just to maybe refocus us again, and uh, we'll spend a few more minutes in God's powerful word, and then, and then, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue on in worship. Father, um, you are good and you do good. We are grateful for how gracious you are. We're grateful that Dave is, is already being cared for, already being attended to, that, it, that it, it seems his health will be fully restored. We pray for that, God. And um, Lord, we, uh, we just give you praise. Lord, we pray that you would uh, continue to focus our hearts on you and that we would receive your word with humility that we might continue to live it out. In Christ's name, amen. So James, again, he's ending his letter and he's going to call 
his scattered church, remember the church in, in Jerusalem was under persecution, so they were scattered all throughout Judea. And so James is a good pastor. He still cares for his people, and he wants them to have some instructions on how to live out their faith all day, every day. And so he says to pray, and he says, pray at all times. He says, if you're suffering, we should pray. If you're cheerful, we should sing praise. And, and the songs that we chose today to sing, blessed be your name, well, what is that? That's actually a prayer to God, right? I mean, we are speaking to God when we pray. This song, Lord, I need you. I mean, this is like, this is, this is what we were all saying right there as Dave was, was having a, a a quick seizure and 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 in an, in a, an important uh, health crisis there. Um, remember, God, we need you. We need your grace. We need your power. We need your healing touch in this moment. And so James is basically saying, look, whether things are great or whether things are really difficult, you should pray and commit your life to God. And then he goes on in verse 14, and exactly what was put into practice right here is as, as Dave um, was, was, was in this moment of, of extreme sickness, what did we do? We prayed. And there are times where the, the text indicates, well, look at verse 14 with me. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So what you have here is a person that seems to be so seriously sick and ill that they cannot make it to the gathering of the congregation. It seems that they're bedridden. The elders have to go to them to pray over them. And the prayer is that God would raise them up. And so there will be times where you come to, to, to church and you ask for prayer, prayer for something physically going on with you, prayer for something spiritually going on with you. But there will be times perhaps where physically you can't make it to church and so you call for prayer from others. And I don't know if you've ever been to church. Let me just by show of hands, have you ever been in a church where the elders used oil to anoint people in prayer? Have you ever been a part of a church? Okay, that's, that's, quite, a, that's quite a few, about half of us. I, you know, to my knowledge, I've never been in a part of a church that, where that was practiced. Now, maybe my pastors did that without me knowing it. That's, that's certainly possible. But, you know, as, as, a, as a, a, a young pastor here of a church that's three years old, I've never practiced this myself. But you know what? Man, I come, when we come to the Word, we, we submit to what it says, right? And so through, through a, I think, a clarified understanding and practice, man, I am ready to take this step now. And as we're praying for people under extreme sickness to anoint them with oil, and, and what does that mean? Okay, see, oil in the New Testament, it was used medicinally. Okay, it was, it was, a, it was a form of, 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 of healing uh, in the first century, still today, but um, especially at that time when they lacked some of the technological advances that we enjoy. But some, some people would say, well, see, it was just medicinal, so you don't need to continue to practice that today. But it seems that prayer being the focus, okay, and this is borne out in the, in the English for you English majors, is let them pray the participle, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So you, you have this focus on the spiritual need. And so what seems to, to be taking place is there is a physical action that carries spiritual or symbolic significance. You say, well, what is that, Tanner? Like, what's up with the oil? Well, here's the deal. Oil was used to anoint 
kings and priests in the Old Testament. And the oil signified, number one, the presence of God, the blessing of God on their life, on their service. And it also said, hey, these people are set apart for service to God. And so when John, who has practiced this in the past, if he would have had some oil, perhaps he would have used it then. And what is he doing? He's saying, God, this person is in your hands and we are setting them apart for your special care and protection. It's as simple as that. It doesn't mean, listen to this, it doesn't mean that every time the elders pray, even in faith, that God is going to heal that person. You see, we always pray, what? Lord, if you will. And so sometimes you get into this, this false teaching that says, hey, if you have enough faith, then God will necessarily heal that person. It's like a little, you know, a magic trick almost. You know, you snap your fingers, pray your prayer, boom, everyone's healed. I mean, if that were the case, then, you know, the Apostle Paul must not have enough faith in 2 Corinthians 12 because he pleaded with God three times to remove that thorn from his side and God didn't do it. And what about Jesus in the garden? God, let this cup pass from me yet not as I will, but as you will. So listen, if you ever hear someone say, but if you just had more faith, okay, just like, that's bogus, that's ridiculous. Don't buy that because that's not necessarily true at all in terms of what the scriptures say. Yes, we are to pray in faith. And yes, we are to pray because we know God is powerful. We pray for healing and we pray knowing that God has the power to hear our prayers and to answer our prayers. And you notice that he says, he goes on and he says, look, therefore, he, he, it's like as if he zooms out from this specific episode of the elders praying for a sick person. And he says, look, now apply this generally to the congregation. Verse 16, look at it with me again. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So, so what's going on here is that you are caring for physical needs, but you're also caring for spiritual needs. If there's, if there's something going on, you know, when we get sick, sometimes we, 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 we really look to God more clearly and we remember, you know what, man, yeah, I have been deviating from God's will in this area of my life or in that area of my life. And so it, sickness is not presupposed that the person was in sin and that's why they're sick. There's an if there, Okay. So we don't want to jump to that conclusion either. We want to be very careful in how we're reading God's word. And yet at the same time, perhaps there is prayer not only for their physical well-being, but also their spiritual well-being. And so this is where we said, as a church, we want to care not only for one another's physical needs, but also, and more importantly, one another's spiritual needs. Because we can give someone a cup of cold water, and that is really great, that's nice, but to tell someone about Jesus, who is the living water from whom they will never thirst again to meet their spiritual, eternal needs, that is what is going to last forever. To be alleviated from physical suffering in this life is a great blessing, but how much greater is it to be alleviated from eternal suffering through faith in Jesus Christ? So then James says, you should pray for one another. And, and, I, and I love what Bonhoeffer said. There's a little book, it's on our resource table called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor, 
World War II. He was, someone say, martyred for his faith in Christ. He was, he was killed under Nazi, the Nazi regime. In this book, Life Together, this is what he says. A Christian fellowship, okay, think church, think Redemption Hill Church, look around, okay? A Christian fellowship, think community groups. We're relaunching our community groups this fall, okay? A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapses. I mean, mean, is, is prayer that vital to us? I love what Bonhoeffer goes on to say. He says, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, we, we're, we're real people. We're, we're sinful people. We get on each other's nerves from time to time, right? I mean, just, you know, you can, you know, be honest. You know, don't, you might get a bump, you know, from someone sitting next to you. Like, oh, me, yeah. But, you know, so, but when we pray for one another, when we care for one another, when we love one another, it builds us up. Because if we're not really doing that, then, then Bonhoeffer says we are on the verge of a breakdown, of a collapse. So we're to pray for one another. We're to confess our sins to one another. Not only to God, first and foremost, but also to one another because that's how we, we grow to be more healthy as Christians. That's how we incorporate both a prayer and confession to say, you know what, man, I'm struggling with pride in my work. I think a little more of myself than I ought to think. So would you pray for me in my workplace? Or I have a really, you know, challenging, you know, setup, um, you know, in, in, in my, my school and my professor, you know, just is, 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 is doesn't understand. There's no, there's no kind of, you know, working with me. And so would you, would you pray for my attitude toward my professor? And the, and the examples could go on and on. And what happens then when we live this kind of a lifestyle where we're praying for one another, whether we're confessing our sins to one another. What does is, what is the end of verse 16 says? It says this, that you may be healed. That's the goal. The goal is, is healing, it's restoration. And some of you may be saying, you know what, I pray and I don't see healing. I pray and I don't see spiritual progress. What's the deal? And so James, like a good communicator, is gonna say, hey, look, Look at the prophet Elijah. You remember him, 1 Kings 17 and 18? He said, he was a man. What does it say in verse 17? With a nature like ours. So in other words, Elijah, this great man of God, prayed and God withheld rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed again and he gave rain. And so he's saying, well, that's Elijah. Of course, man, Elijah has like special access to God. And, and James just refuted that because he said he has a nature like ours. So, so what's, what makes my prayer, Pastor Tanner, you know, Pastor T, you know, like what makes my prayer different than your prayers? That's right, nothing Nothing makes my, like, Jesus is my access to God. Jesus is your access to God. There is nothing special about me except for Jesus. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What makes a person righteous? Jesus, right? So pray, go to God. You have access to him. Pray with faith. Pray for God to heal physically, spiritually. He has made himself available to us. So the goal is healing restoration, which pushes us into verses 19 and 20, which say this. My brothers, 
If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let them, him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. Now, this may seem to be an abrupt conclusion to the letter of James. But let me propose that this is an entirely appropriate word of exhortation to conclude this letter because what has James been doing all along? He's saying, look, be steadfast in the faith. Don't be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Don't be hearers only, be doers of the word. And so he wants to say, you know what? You are going to be, as the great hymn, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing says, you are going to be prone to wonder. It is the, the, the default mode of our heart to want our own way to do our own thing. And so even as a Christian, we battle with indwelling sin and we're going to want to deviate from God's will for our lives. So what do we do? What happens when we wonder from the truth, which is not just primarily doctrinal error as much as it is wandering from God's way of the truth, living our lives for Christ. This is what we do. We bring one another back. We help each other out. We care for one another. Man, if we haven't seen you in weeks at Redemption Hill, we're not like calling you to bug you, you know what I'm saying? But we care for your soul. We want to make sure that everything's okay, that, 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 that you know, Satan isn't at work to pull you away and that the things of the world have distracted you to the point where all of a sudden, man, your relationship with God is just down kind of the drain. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we, we want to care for one another so that we can grow in the faith, so that we can brought, be brought back onto the path of restoration. And the goal here, again, it says that if you, if you do this, if you bring someone back from their wandering, you will save their soul from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And so the assumption here is maybe there's someone who professes to be in Christ, in the church, and yet they are persisting in disobedience. They are persisting in living their life not for God. And so when that happens, we say, hey, what are you thinking? Come back to God's ways. It's what's best for you. It's what's going to satisfy you. And so I want to give you just five implications very quick on what I believe we can put into practice in light of this exhortation to care for one another, okay? From verses 19 and 20. Uh, here, here we go, okay? I'm just, my job, again, I say this a lot, of, a lot of here at Redemption Hill, my job is to be real, just to tell it like it is, okay? Hopefully we can still be friends after the service, all right? Here we go. Number one, get below the surface with one another. Get below the surface with one another, okay? It's like, hey, what's up? How you doing? How was your week? What's good, man? And like, that's like, I'm just going to say, like, that's surface. You know what I'm saying? What about, how's your soul? If that's too churchy for you, you know, like, man, how, how are you doing with, with God? What's God teaching you these days? Man, are, are you exercising faithfulness to God, faithfulness to those around you? I mean, you can ask these questions in a thousand different ways, but sometimes, listen, it takes courage to ask that question. Man, what are you reading in the Word? How's your prayer life? I mean, these, these things that, that matter a little more than what you do this week. I mean, I care about what you did this week, but I want to care more. And listen, I'm not always good at this because it takes courage. You have, to, you have to step out there and say, you know what, I love you so much, I care for you so much that I'm going to ask you a question that carries some eternal significance and actually get below the surface a little bit. 
Let me just say, this should be the expectation of normal Christianity, all day, everyday Christianity, okay? This isn't like once a year, like, man, how you doing with Jesus? But it's like, man, all the time. Let's, let's dig into each other's lives, okay? Let's get uncomfortable a little bit so that God can do his great work in us. Got it? Number two, be willing to confront one another in love, okay? So with love and humility, we go and we graciously question where we see people deviating from God's truth, and then we courageously confront them, try to correct them to bring them back to the path of God's truth. Again, the goal is that we always are winning each other back into because we're followers of Christ, right? We're following him. That's, that's the goal of the Christian life, to bring glory to God through following Jesus. Now, let me just say this. this. This instruction is more reactive and responsive versus being proactive. So how much better is it instead of someone wandering from the truth and going way out over here to be so proactive in one another's lives that the wondering is just, oh, a little tweak here, man, we're back. You you see that? A little deviation, oh, we're we're back. And how does this happen? It happens through biblical community, caring for one another, loving one another. So number three, be proactive. Be mentored and mentor someone, all right? Listen, I am who I am today because of the grace of God and primarily through God's grace working in through people's life to help me see what it looks like to be a Christian. So just as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, I have people in my life, Alan Chamness, Kevin Hall, Boyd and Susie Phillips, Danny Aiken, Dwayne Milioni, these people who said, hey, Tanner, I'm a little bit farther ahead of you in this following Jesus thing. And so if you'll look at me and let me teach you the word and show you the ropes, you're going to grow in Christ. I needed that. I still need that today. And listen, so do you. So do you. So are you willing to to be mentored by someone? Are you willing to to take someone who may be a couple of steps behind you in the faith and say, you know what, I'll put my arm around you and I'll encourage you in the faith so that we can do this thing together. Listen, that should always be happening. Paul to Timothy, right? These relationships. You should be a Paul to somebody and you should be a Timothy to somebody. So listen, our our pastor of discipleship, John Chastain, he's out of the country. He and his wife are adopting a little girl from China, okay? They'll be back in a couple of weeks. So you know what? Let's just surprise John, okay? Let's just drop a little surprise on him when he gets back. He would be so thrilled if we had a number of people, if it's 100, let's do it, all right, who take this respond card right here and say, you know what? I am interested in being discipled by a mature follower of Christ, I want to be mentored. I want to grow. And some of you might even write down here, you know what? Not only do I want to be mentored, I'm also willing to mentor someone else to help them along in the faith. Some of you may not be ready for that, but those of you are like, yeah, man, I'm in. I want to do that. So could we take that step? Like, go ahead and pull it out. Get your pen. Redemption Hill. Click, clack. Do your thing, all right? You're going to need that pen, all right? Because the fourth encouragement then is to be proactive and to get involved in a community group, right? Now, Pastor John, we're going to just hammer this the next three weeks because this is our philosophy at Redemption Hill, okay? We're not a show. We're not a Sunday morning. Everybody comes, and this is all we do, okay? We want to worship on Sundays, and then secondarily, we want to, or maybe even primarily, we want to get together in small groups throughout the week. 
so that we're encouraging one another in the faith to, to live this out. Everything that we've been talking about, it should be happening in our community group. So, man, I would love to see at least 80% of the people who attend on Sunday in a community group. I mean, my real prayer is 100%, but I'll be, you know, 80s, we're on our way, all right? And, and so we pursue life together again, as John so uh, helpfully articulated, so that we can grow together in Christ. Number five, be proactive and pursue church membership. Okay, so we have a class tonight. This is pretty awesome. We have 27 adults signed up for this Connections class tonight. And and Connections class is just an introduction into who we are as a church, what we believe, and how we function as a church. It's also the first step in our membership process. Now, you can come tonight. You, you don't, you're not obligated to join the church as a member, okay? No, we're not going to su- make you sign in blood, you know, at the end of the class or anything like that. But, but, but let me give you a few reasons why church membership matters, okay? It's like you're not going to find a verse in the Bible that says, hey, join this local church. But the implication, okay, if you don't think you should join a local church, please at least have a 30-minute conversation with me and let me convince you that it is a completely biblical idea. All right? Here are a few reasons why. Real quick, and I got to shut this thing down. Uh, Number one, we covenant together, okay? So we say, man, I am committed to living my life in this particular kind of way, valuing gospel community and mission, and I need your prayer, and I need your accountability, and we're in this thing together to support one another in the journey. So there's a commitment. There's a shared commitment to where you, you're not going to like worry about, hey, is Tanner going to be here next month going to another church because, you know, the, the preaching's better. Be probably a pretty easy move around here, okay? So, so we covenant together. Number two, uh, this is how we really focus our pastoral care. So who are the elders keeping up with? Who are we praying for? Who are we checking in on? Okay, we love every single one of you. All right, if you're here on Sunday, man, we're praying for you. We're, 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 we're hey, where are they? Like, we, we want to care for everybody. But when it comes to one day when we as pastors stand before God and give an account for the flock that is among us, as it says in Acts 20 in Hebrews 13, like, how are we supposed to know who that is if people don't say, hey, I'm in? You see that? There was another argument. Boom. All right, so, so people say, I'm in. And so we're saying, then we're in to care for you, to pray for you, to make sure that you are spiritually fed and cared for and protected as followers of Jesus. You got that? All right. And then number three, raise the stakes of personal commitment. And so what I mean by that, I'm saying as a, as a, as a, as a church family, we are saying, hey, we follow Jesus in this particular kind of way. And so I'm telling you, it would be good for your soul to consider to sign on the dotted line and say, man, I am in with this church family to live out my faith in this kind of a way. Now, I went way longer than 10 minutes. It's like 20. Sorry. But James, James writes this letter. As a pastor who loved his people, and his goal was to what? To see them grow in Christ to see them faithfully follow Jesus, to see them live out their faith all day, every day. And so that is our prayer for you as pastors of Redemption Hill. So my question for you as we end is, what's your next step? We all have a story, man. We're about to hear three more stories of how God is bringing change in people's lives. Hey, what's, what's your next step? 
Hopefully it's not just, man, I'm going to commit to these things and, you know, community group check, mentorship check, church, like all of the above, letter F, you know what I'm saying? Like, but, but to do this so that, not just so that, yeah, like Pastor Tanner said this and that would be good, but because, man, God loves you. God wants you to glorify uh, him with your life. It's available to us. We just have to put our yes on the table and say, Jesus, whatever you say goes, you are the Lord of my life. Let's pray together. Father, you're sovereign. We're so grateful that you have loved us and have sent your son to to pull us back when we had wandered far from you. So God, for any person who has yet to follow Christ, Pray that you would convince them of their need today, that they could say with the words of that song, Lord, I need you. I need, to, I need you in my life. I need to follow you. And God, for all of us, that we would uh, more wholeheartedly, day by day, moment by moment, give our lives to you in grateful adoration for all of who you are and all that you have done for us in Jesus. We pray this prayer in Christ's name, amen. All right, I'm gonna invite Sal Bayo. Danny